All right, so this spring, we've been doing a series on relationships. Before break, we were talking about confession and forgiveness and how to do those things with each other and how to do those things with God. And uh, tonight, we're looking at our relationship with God more and when our faith life feels flat, what do we do about that? Next week, uh, we're looking at relationships with each other and how far is too far and why does it matter? And the week after that, where does the church's position on same-sex marriage come from and why does it matter? And the one after that, how to lead a flourishing single life. And the one after that, how to adult when your parents still think you're a kid. So, so that's the landscape of what we're going for. And I just want to say, they all build on each other. So you'll get the most out of them if you listen to all of them. Particularly the next three are designed to be listened to um, together. So just a heads up as we move forward, that's where we're going. And uh, when we get done with that, then we'll have a testimony Sunday. And then, you know, you'll all be like off on summer. So it's coming. It's coming. We'd love to give you hope. All right. So tonight, we're going to be looking at a psalm of David that is actually uh, two psalms, but scholars think it's actually one psalm, and that is Psalms 42 and 43, found in your pew Bibles on page 447. Page 447 and 448. We already sang part of this psalm together. Now we're going to read it, Psalms 42 and 43. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me continually, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts, and all your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I walk about mournfully because the enemy oppresses me? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, where's your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From those who are deceitful and unjust, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the harp, O oh God, my God. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? 
Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. This is the word of the Lord. So when you drive by churches, sometimes they have those signs out with a little pithy saying on them. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're kind of cheesy. You know, it says something like, Welcome to our CH, space, space, CH. What's missing? You are. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay. I didn't think of it. I don't. It's a little cheesy. There's, there's one you may have seen also that says this. Feeling distant from God, guess who moved? Right? And the implication in that phrase, the implication in the sign is that God is steady and he is steadfast and he is constant. So if you're feeling distant from God, that's on you. You've obviously done something there. So get it back together. And if you see that sign and you know you've done something, you can be convicted, right? Because there are things that we do that make it feel like we're not close to God. And that, that is on us. Like, if, you know, if we have unconfessed sin in our life that we just keep repeating and tolerating and if we're you know we avoid going to corporate worship or reading scripture or praying or doing all the things that we know we're supposed to do like if we've retreated from those things and turned away from those things yeah okay but what I actually find most often in my conversations with people is that they're doing all the things and they still feel flat lifeless, far from God. And sometimes they don't even know why. We don't even know why. We're doing the things we've always done, and yet we go to worship, and instead of being like picked up and fed and convicted, just kind of like, eh. We go to Bible study, and we just find we're quiet. We try to pray, and our mind is like, we read scripture, and it's like reading a textbook. You know, you read the paragraph, and you realize you have retained nothing of what was there. And we think, what, what is going on? Why do I feel this way? What is happening in me? And we have a temptation to not tell anybody. Because particularly in North American Protestantism, there's this lie out there that if you have really strong faith, you're going to feel awesome all the time. And if you don't feel awesome all the time, then obviously you don't have good faith. And if you aren't ready to come into worship and raise up your hands and sing really loud, then obviously your faith is a little, you know, shaky. And some of you have grown up in churches or in worship spaces where there's very much this sense that you have to feel something significant every time you are in the presence of God, every time you worship. And the first time you kind of go to worship and that doesn't happen, you think, what's wrong with me? Have I done something wrong? Will I feel this way forever? What's, what's happening? What's wrong with me? The answer is probably nothing. Because if you've had a season in your life, or you have a friend who's had a season in his or her or their lives in which they just feel flat, 
you're in very good company. Very good company. Like, people have been describing this and talking about this for generations. David was one of the first people who wrote it down. But big-name people, like St. John of the Cross, he actually wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. Mother Teresa went much of her life feeling that she had just disconnected from God. Abraham Kuyper. We talk about him here all the time, right? Every square inch, blah, blah, blah. Abraham Kuyper. <laughs> right? He had significant periods of depression, significant periods of mental illness, significant seasons in his life when he just didn't know what God was up to at all. So if you've got a feeling like that, or if you've gone through a season, or if you ever go through one, I want you to know very clearly that you are in good company and you are not alone. This is not something to hide. This is not something to be ashamed of. This is something to name out loud. And that's exactly what David does. In the, the Psalms that we have here, 42 and 43, which I'll refer to as a Psalm, scholars are pretty sure that he wrote this during a time when he was in exile, he was fleeing enemies, whether that was Saul or the Philistines, we're not really sure. But he cries out that he's away from the things that he loves, the temple and his people, he doesn't have any hope. He doesn't know what God is doing. He has a lot of pain in his life. And when scholars read this, they, they even have a pretty good guess of where he was when he wrote it. You see, in the wilderness, there's this place called En Gedi. And En Gedi is the one place in the wilderness where there's a little bit of water, and so it's green. In fact, En Gedi is a national park today in Israel. And to get there, you drive through like rocks and barrenness and nothing, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, is that green stuff? What is going on there? And you go up, and there's this just waterfalls and stuff that comes all the way down. It's really beautiful. And the reason why scholars think that David may have been at En Gedi when he wrote this psalm is because there's this particular type of deer that hangs out in that area called an ebex. It's a small deer, it's very timid, it's very shy. But if you're really quiet in the morning, in the very early morning, or maybe in David's case, if you've been up all night, you can literally hear the deer panting as they come to the stream. They make this really strange kind of... <gasps> and if you didn't know it was a deer, you would be freaked out. <laughs> But they literally make this panting noise. So you can imagine David, he's in this space of like, God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. I don't know what's going on. And then he hears these little deer coming up like, <gasps> and he says, yes, that's, that's how I feel. That's the desperation I feel. I want to drink. I thirst for you. And if I don't get you, God, I'm going to die. That's how I feel just like that. In effect, the word that's translated here is longing, or in some translations, yearning. It's only used twice in all of the Bible because people think it's actually kind of this written-down expression of the sound that these deer are making, this like earnest longing, I must have this or I will die kind of sense. And David is a master poet, right? That's why we have so many of his poems. 
And in this particular poem, he uses the imagery of water in such powerful ways. He begins by saying, I want the refreshing stream. I want my thirst quenched. I want this life that I can get from God alone. But we know what I get instead? Tears. My tears have been my food day and night. I want the refreshing stream. I get tears. And so then David tries to do the things that we might try to do when we're feeling depressed and discouraged and distanced from God. He tries to remember. He's like, I remember what it was like when we worshiped all together. I led. I was out in front. I was dancing before the Lord. My wife hated it. (laughs) I was out in front. I was dancing. I was rejoicing. And now when I think about that, It just makes me realize what I don't have now. He tries to remember the expanse of God's kingdom. He's like, I remember you. I remember from Jordan, Mount Hermon, Mount Mitzah. I remember you. But when I remember that and that you were present in those seasons and you're not present now, it's like I'm being caught up in the waves, just churned up. And if you've ever been caught in a wave, you know how scary that can be. You don't know which direction is up. You don't know if you're going to come up. You are not in control in any way. And David says, that's, that's how this feels. Everything in my life is just churned up. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for it to just calm down so the sediment will sink and I can see clearly what I'm supposed to be doing. I want the refreshing stream and instead what I get is tears and churned up waves and I'm so sad, and I'm so mournful, and I don't understand, God, where you are. I don't know, God, what you're doing. I go about mournfully. My enemies oppress me. They they mock me because they know. And they say, oh, where's your God? Have you prayed hard enough? If you prayed harder, you wouldn't be so depressed. Where's your God? I thought this is the way it was supposed to work. Like, you like give your life to Jesus and then everything's supposed to be okay. Where's your God? Sometimes that person's in the mirror. I thought this was how this was supposed to work. I thought I would give my life to you and then things would be better. And they're not. Where's your God? David is a master poet. And he puts into beautiful lyrics the things that are ripping him apart. Where is your God? And we get this. One of the reasons Psalms 42 and 43 have been put to music again and again and again and again is because so many people read them and say, yes, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. And David has this refrain. You notice this, probably. 
comes up three different times. At the beginning, it sounds kind of plaintive, kind of earnest, like, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. It's like he's trying to will himself there. Like, if I just try hard enough, I can get there again. If I just try hard enough, I can feel something again. But then he goes back. His soul is cast down. He goes through the water. He says, there's like a deadly wound in my body. He says it again. Like he's talking to himself. Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God. I shall again praise him, my help and my God. He tries again. Why Vindicate me, God. Defend me. Deliver me. You're the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? What are you even doing here? Come on. And then there's a shift. There's a shift in the last part of Psalm 43. Notice the first two-thirds of this psalm, there's this, this kind of turned inwardness of like, my life is bad, I am in pain, you are doing nothing. This is how I feel. And then, at verse 3 of Psalm 43, it shifts. And David says, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. I will praise you with a harp, oh God, my God. Send out your light and your truth. Because your light and your truth is real and factual. Send out your light and your truth so I can rely on them and not on how I feel. Send out your light. Send out your truth. Remind me of your goodness. Remind me of your faithfulness. Remind me of these things. Send out your light and your truth and let them pierce me. Let them burst into my dark, lie-filled life. Now, how does he get to the change? It's, it's not like he writes in here, and then we had five sunny days in a row, and the temperature went up 20 degrees, and I felt better. <laughs> it's not in there. What is it that shifts? Well, it's less of a shift than it is an acknowledgement, a remembering of the, the center of everything. So if you look at these two psalms together, we've got 16 verses. And David, the master poet, puts a hinge right in the middle of the psalm. And the hinge is the verse from which everything else radiates. Everything goes out from there, and that is verse 8. Which when you read the psalm through first, you're like, that doesn't make, why is that in there? That doesn't make any sense. It's in there because it's the hinge on which everything else turns. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. What David is doing there is making a faith claim that despite how he feels, he knows that God is commanding his love by day, he's hearing his song at night, and this is the God of his life, his whole life. 
not just this moment of sorrow and sadness and pain, but the God of his whole life, from the moment when he was born and when he was out in the fields and when Samuel anointed him to killing Goliath, to this moment right now of exile and uncertainty to whatever the future holds, he makes this really bold claim, and he says, this is the God of my life. And this prayer of lament and pain and what are you doing and where are you and why aren't you showing up, this comes because I trust the God who is the God of my life. I don't have to hide my feelings, David says. I don't have to pretend that I feel great. I cannot feel great and trust God. I can do those things at the same time. And so he has this refrain that like reminds him of it and then this hinge verse, every day, every night, God of my life. Every day, every night, God of my life. And it's because of his relationship with God that he can cry out and cry for vindication and cry for deliverance and then have this beautiful part of like, all right, I need to get over myself. Like, send out your light. Send out your truth. One of the big temptations when we're in this season is that we want to really back off the things that we've done before that have helped our relationship with God. We may think like, well, worship really isn't helping me, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Scripture reading, I'm not getting out of, th- out of that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to stop praying because I don't know what that's about anymore. And then we, we get kind of pouty like, God's not talking to me. And getting to that point and saying God's not talking to you is a little like being really ticked at your friend because she hasn't texted you, but your phone is on silence and it's in the sock drawer and you're in the science building. (laughs) If we want God to send out his light and his truth to smack us with the remembrance of who he really is, we actually have to put ourselves in the place where his light and his truth come out, where his light and his truth shine. Places like worship, places like Bible study, intimate relationships with people who can call us on our stuff, people who can bring with us and stand one on one side and one on the other side when we worship. And when we don't want to sing loud, they're fine with that. And when we want to sit down when everybody else stands up, they're fine with that. And when we walk out and everyone else is saying what a great service that was and we're not, they're fine with that. Why is it that we can leave a movie theater and we can have varied reactions? I thought that was really scary. I didn't think it was scary at all. I thought that was so funny. Eh, it really wasn't funny. Oh, I was so much, I was crying all the time. Really? <laughs> but when we leave worship, we all feel like we're supposed to have the same feeling. What is that? We have to make space to say we can trust in God and feel kind of crummy all at the same time. Sometimes you hear people say, if you have a lot of faith, then your fear goes down. I'm like, ah, no. (laughs) That's not my experience at all. Like, I can have a whole lot of fear and a whole lot of faith all at the same time. All at the same time, right? Anybody who says, well, when I have a lot of faith, I have no fear. I'm like, who are you? Like, like, these things all go together. That's why this psalm is so rich, because it's just a mess. Right? It's just, it's just a mess. He's like earnest, and he's mad, and he's 
centered and he's flapping all over the place. Like, it's just life. It's life lived before a God who loves him. And he knows that he's not going to feel this way all the time. He knows that he's not going to feel this way all the time. And we can know that we're not going to feel this way all the time. David knew that because he knew his God. And David knew God in one particular revelation, and we know God in a fuller revelation because we know Jesus. David didn't get to know Jesus. We know Jesus, and we know the cross. That's a game changer. Did you know that one of the reasons that Muslims have a really hard time with Christianity is because of the cross? You see, in Islam, Allah is great, right? This is what they say, Allah Akbar. God is great. He is mighty. He is above. He is holy. So the idea that God would actually become human, become one of us, that's very off-putting. It's like, what? Why? And then this idea that we have that Jesus was the Son of God who then humbled himself, became a slave, went to death on a cross, the most shameful, scandalous way to die. They're like, that's not it. That's not God. That's not how God works at all. And we say, no, that's, that's exactly how God works. Because our God knows what it's like to be betrayed and rejected and alone. Jesus knows what it's like to pray and have God say no. If it's your will, take this cup from me. Nope. He knows what it's like to not be believed. He knows what it's like to be mocked. He knows what it's like to have a deadly wound in his body, to have his adversaries taunt him and say, where is your God? He knows. And he took all of those things we feel, the distance and the pain and the churning, and he took them all to the cross. And when Jesus died, those things died. And when he rose again, it was with a promise to say, someday these things will be no more. No more. So we know we're not always going to feel this way because of eschatological reasons, end time reasons, return of Jesus, new heavens and earth reasons. And we know we're not always going to feel exactly like this because no matter what we are feeling, Jesus is right here with us. You may not feel him. You may not see him. You may not hear him. But he is just as close as the person sitting by you now. And when you don't want to sing, he is right here. And when you don't want to pray, he is right there. And when you're up all night crying, he is right there. And when you feel all churned up and you don't know how long you can make it, he is right there. And so in our times of struggle and distance and pain and flat and lifelessness, we have a God who says, I know what that's like and I'm here. 
and you have the body of Christ around you to be that representation. So sometimes it's tempting to say we don't see or feel or hear Jesus. Look around. Look around. You are the body of Christ to each other. Part of the joy that we have is being with each other in the hard times. I will be Christ to you is a wonderful gift that we give to our friends. I will be present for you. I will be praying for you. I will be the one who is by your side. I will be like Christ to you because Christ is with me. That's the gift we get. David didn't know about Jesus. He didn't know about the cross, but he knew that his God was trustworthy. And this is why that refrain is the thing that ends the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Not yourself, not your feelings. Hope in God. For I will again praise him, my help and my God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are with you. Hope in God.